0: Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Mile High Green Cross. Sign up for their loyalty program and receive 20% off your entire purchase once per month. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. And with me for this somber occasion, this bittersweet occasion of discussing the ninth and potentially final for now, uh, inning of Ken Burns baseball is of course our beat writer Patrick Lyons and the one and only my mom <laughs> Barbara yeah. Uh thank you everyone for joining us while well, we have some fun here we are live on Facebook Twitter and Twitch so uh, if you leave a comment we'll be able to see it this is the first time we're trying out a new technology and so if things sound or feel a little bit weird and different apologies for that but so far well i shouldn't even say the rest of that sentence we're all baseball people and we know how that goes so what we're going to do here is jump right into uh, the ninth inning of ken burns baseball i will say this um i don't think we're going to be able to knowing the three of us and the conversations (laughs) we've had so far i don't think we're going to be able to wrap it up Uh, we can't wrap up we can't talk about this episode which was two hours and 25 minutes and wrap up the entire series in a confident and comfortable way. Not only that, we need to get our guy Manny Randawa in on these conversations, being uh, a great historian of both baseball and baseball, uh, one of those in italics and one and not, right? And so I think on Thursday we'll have an opportunity to get into whatever we don't get to hear about this most recent episode um, and, and wrap up the whole series, and hopefully we'll be able to get – Manny involved with that but I'll begin as I have with each of these episodes and of course beginning with my mother as as a responsible son ought to do. Uh Mom what'd you think of the episode?
1: Oh I loved it. I thought it was lots of fun and showed lots of things that I actually remember watching now on TV.
0: Yeah we're getting into the the stuff we actually really remember and you know I, I, I recall thinking during some of this like this was actually during my lifetime
1: yeah and you know depending on when it exactly was but you know i remember the carlton fiscombe run and of course bill butner and uh, kurt Gibson. you know those kind of moments were really fun to see much less like i just mentioned to you bo jackson climbing the wall as a kansas city royal
0: that was actually yeah, a moment. Right into the best stuff
2: <laughs> that was actually a moment that like got me choked up for a minute you know, I was never a huge Bo Jackson fan, but I just think he came about in, in my lifetime. And, and, and during that time, he was just such a superstar. And it was so captivating just, you know, between him and Ozzy Smith, Cal Ripken, just these highlights of players just playing the game defensively. It wasn't even highlights of, of home runs and things of that nature. It was just guys playing baseball with enthusiasm and just general love of the game. And that was just so heartwarming to see right there at the end with with Bo.
1: Yeah, with Bo Jackson and some of the great catches he made, and then Ozzie Smith and doing his backflip. That's playing for fun, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, I love that little outro-ish moment. Though I, I must say, and here's going to be a, a reference people will love, I did feel like this ninth inning felt a bit like the final season of Game of Thrones where i could almost feel ken burns going oh but i gotta mention this and i gotta talk about this and i can't not any any like very quickly glossed over bo jackson and ozzie smith and he kind of threw the 70s and 80s together here too where we've kind of been doing one decade per episode and so i did feel like i loved the episode but i found myself many many times going why didn't we spend more time on that they glossed over that Braves twins world series. And they just gave us all the stats. of so like every game decided by one run, three of them came down to the last batter. I'm like, so if this had been between a Boston or New York team and somebody else, it would have been what the entire episode was about is what you're telling me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you well, it, it, it,
1: it did. It, it was all these things that happened. And I mean, it was a long episode It included so much stuff, but not the Kansas City Royal St. Louis World Series in '85 after all that stuff they include. So you start thinking about the things that could have been, it could go on forever if you include all those spots, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And this, of course, aired in 1994. And, you know, the '91 series hadn't happened that that much prior right obviously and, and when they're they're p- putting all of these this work together years and years of you can see interviews from the late 80s I'm sure when Ken Burns really first started you know getting the genesis of this idea that you know a lot of planning obviously went into it and and in fact if you would do, you were to do the 70s and, and 80s again you probably wouldn't even mention Bo Jackson or maybe he would just get a couple highlights about exciting players during the time because he had a very very short career. I think he only played something like seven seasons and, you know, made one all-star appearance. That's it. So his overall impact on baseball was, was nil. But of course you have to, you have to mention him if you're talking about some of the most exciting players from that, that late eighties time. And, you know, there's no reference of Ken Griffey Jr. Who by that point was kind of the face of major league baseball. And by the 90, by the time 94 had rolled around, he was one of the biggest stars in the game, but Again, you're trying to capture, you know, two decades prior and whatnot, and it's it's kind of hard to understand the the historical ramifications of an event that just happened.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely, um, and that, I think it also sort of suffered from that a little bit. You know, it's it's easier. They say you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and at that point, you're making stuff about recent history, and you know, there is even I, I feel like maybe potentially uh, a sort of blindness to the steroid era that was just on the horizon, even as they were talking about the drug issue, but they sort of made it all about other drugs, um, (laughs) which I thought was kind of interesting. But um, yeah, before we get too deep into the woods there, we'll be able to get back into all of this stuff as it comes up. Did I have a few comments here? Will mentioned that the first air date of baseball was in September of 94. Um, so yeah, just coming right off of the heels of some of this stuff. Diane summers on uh, Facebook here saying missing you guys so much. Good to see you. Great to see you, Diane. Thank you for uh, joining us. We're all really missing baseball and this is what we can do, uh, in the meantime to make up for that. I suppose, uh, same here from Jeremy saying, I miss baseball. Please come back to me, uh, hopefully before too long. Uh, it will come back to us. And LJ Maximo saying, will there ever be another Bo Jackson? Wow. Mom knows her stuff. Awesome. <laughs> so I don't know if we lost the video for you there, mom, but we've still got you on audio. So,
1: yeah, I can't see myself anymore, which is maybe a good thing, but I don't know <laughs> why. Uh,
0: well, we'll all miss seeing your face, but we're going to, we're going to trudge along here. I find
2: um, it, I find it to be interesting that You know, we're all we're all missing baseball, even even those of us who who cover it and we can find different ways to try to get through this time. But I think that really bookends well with the sort of the last quotes and the last scenes of this episode with Buck O'Neill saying, Quote, You just can't kill baseball. Right. Talks about Babe Ruth, Josh Gibson, and then that next crack of the bat, which happened to be Bo Jackson. But I thought that very fitting for this time in which we're all missing all of sports we're missing all competitions, even if it's not even on the professional level or college level could even be going out to your, your local rec league to watch some basketball or little league. We're missing it all. And uh, above all of that is, is the simple fact that baseball will come back. It will help us. And it may save us once again, if it, if it does become the first sport that's able to, come back from covid nineteen in a of course safe manner
0: right there was a a line from one of the writers uh, I can't remember which one it was. I was writing it down very quickly while doing many things while watching this episode but um, it, it really spoke to me during this time that we're in right now where he said life can't be all big issues in heart surgery. He mentioned he, he picked out heart surgery you could very easily just substitute covid or when it happened, 9-11 and Mike Piazza and baseball. And, and you know, I think there, there's always those questions about when serious things are going on in the world. Is it okay that we make a big deal out of baseball? And and this part really broke my heart when he said, it's not that you had to listen to or watch the game. It's that it was there if you needed it. And and I think that's what a lot of people are missing right now. And I think it's totally okay to feel that way, you know, that, that it is this thing that, um, as you said, it, life can't be all big issues in heart surgery. Um, life has to be about what you fill up the space with. And so many of us fill it up with baseball uh, that it's um, it's really heartbreaking not having it. But it is very heartwarming, even though some of the great stories in this episode are about the Dodgers and the Red Sox. Well, not I mean, the Red Sox, a heartbreaking story, but some great years there as well. Um, it's still... It just feels good to be back inside the game again.
2: Oh, for sure, no doubt. It's 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 such a wonderful sport and how it's it's there for you when you need it. I, I think about, you know, the section where it, that talks about, you know, the money that's injected into the sport and players making 50 times what an average person's salary would be. And you see all those baseballs lined up and how much it costs to get autographs and the, 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 value of these baseball cards. And I think a lot of that has to do with the baby boomers growing up, becoming adults, having uh, expendable income and raising their children and saying, you know what, when I was young, the things that were really important and valuable to me and my family was baseball. And you hear Dor- Doris, uh, Kearns Goodwin talking about that and closing her eyes and just kind of intermingling these memories of her father and her own children and it all becomes one in that, you know, baseball is there for us whenever we need it. Even if we step away for a decade to take care of real life stuff. And when you're ready to come back to it, it will be there for you. So if you don't come back when baseball comes back this year, if it does at all, that's okay. It will be there for you the next time you need it.
0: And- so, Mom, you, as we talked about, you know, really lived through this era more as an adult. And there was, I feel like, a big push-pull where we got to celebrate sort of the, the achievements of guys like Kurt Flood, um, uh, of course, who ended up losing, but uh, McNally and Messersmith, um, uh, Marty Miller, and this sort of great boom for, like, players are now getting paid what they're worth, they're Finally, we got rid of the reserve clause, but then there's this other side of it where people are saying, Yeah, but now your favorite player can just leave and go to the team that's got the most money. And some people have decried, I, Bill Spaceman Lee, even said, you know, that ultimately the people who lost here were the fans and maybe the planet Earth. <laughs> He's a weird and interesting guy. Um, but. What do you think? Has free agency ultimately been a good thing for the game of baseball?
1: I think it has. And I understand the problems that, you know, to some extent we have with it. But I thought it was really interesting on a political commentary about this that somebody like George Will said on this issue. I'm kind of a Marxist about, you know, baseball yeah. players, you know, having the right. To, to, to at least have some rights to say about what they're going to make and where they're going to play. Uh, and that was the most important thing. And all those things that went before, like you said, with Kurt Flood, yeah, he lost, but he definitely raised the issue. And because of how the courts work and the time it took, he kept raising the issue for a period of a few years before it got back to have the other guys actually come through and have somebody say, you know, this is inherently unfair
0: yeah yeah it, it took a little while, but and, and I thought flood himself had this great line because he understood why what he was doing was a tough sell. and this is still the issue to this day, whether it's free agents or ball players or famous people, celebrities in general being upset about things. He said, I'm trying to explain to a man who would give his firstborn child to be uh-huh. doing what I'm doing. Why it's it's somewhat problematic. You hear that with the Nolan Arenado stuff. You know, he just got thirty five million dollar a year contract, and now he's complaining. Can he just kind of shut up and do? It? So I, I thought there was an interesting through line with that quote.
1: You know, it doesn't. It, maybe it makes it easier if you're making millions of dollars a year a year. But nobody wants to feel like they're owned by somebody else. That they're total. Choices are taken away; uh, that they right. have to sit down and do what you're told because I own you, and and that becomes a problem with regular workers too. I mean, that's why unions started to exist because those people didn't want to be owned; they wanted to be paid what they were worth. And the owners are making money off of them, and they came out to that. Who was just, it that said the value is in the players? They're the ones that make the game. They're the ones that people come to see. It's He said, you don't go to the baseball game to see the owners. And I would suggest we don't go to the baseball game to see the umpires. Those two things. In there. <laughs> it, it's the players that build the value in the game.
0: Yeah. They, they even sort of painted it as that was the moment, right? That the power finally swung. And the owners still have a ton of power and still make way more money. But once players realize, like you can't do this without us, it really did change the game. Uh, Patrick, do you do you have any? Um, can you play devil's advocate for us on this one here, or, or what are your? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> just no it's, it's just having the having the
2: freedom to be able to you know have that choice of, of where you work. You know, it's it's partially one of the reasons why players have options in their deals. Um, we know that it's it's mainly. Or rather, I should say opt out clauses too, but you know, is to be able to go back out into the, the free market and possibly make even more money. Or, you know what? I'm just going to become a free agent. And I'm going to get paid the exact same thing I was before, but now I can do it in a location maybe that values me a little bit more because this is just a toxic situation that I'm in. So it gives them that flexibility to say, you know, they're already making so much money that I think some of them will go, all right, I'll take a pay cut, just make me a free agent because I want to get out of my current situation. And, you know, that coupled with the fact that, you know, you, we saw what happened in the 95 strike. Those of you that are reading along on Rocky's review know that, you know, the opening day of, of Coors field is coming up, right. It's, it's October, excuse me, October, it's April 26th. Um, except the fact for the fact that it really isn't, you know, they, they opened up Coors field to two exhibition games with replacement players. And sure, they had a packed house the first night uh, because everyone wanted to see the, the new stadium. That would not have continued because the quality of the play would have just been so poor, right? You want to see the best players playing the game, and you're willing to pay top dollars for that. So, you know, we know there's a correlation between player salaries and you know and, and the cost of tickets and things of that nature. And there's some there's some studies that actually refute uh, all of those values anyway. Um, as far as why they're so high that there's not entirely a correlation to all of those things. But, you know, regardless, these players, as, as Barbara eloquently put it is, you know, being part of a union and having that freedom has more value than just
0: those gigantic contracts. hundred percent. And I think one of the things that uh, the, the episode, again, that I would have liked to hear just a little bit more Uh, Out of the episode And I hope we didn't lose mom We'll see if she manages to find her way back in Um, But is uh, Yeah, the the sort of economics Of how the game was in a tough spot And they Touched on Charles Finley I could have done a lot more Chuck Finley I could have done a whole episode On that guy Um, And they they talked about the A's In particular once they were Out uh, in California Uh, But uh, The D.H that in particular. I mean, we can talk a little bit about Raleigh Fingers and Reggie Jackson and Vita Blue and Catfish Hunter out there uh, with the A's if you want, if you've got a special soft spot in your heart for that team. But uh, for me, what really came out of that was this, this bigger thing They're talking about the designated hitter and listening to Bill Spaceman Lee describe in epic detail his final at bat before, as he put it, the owner's took the bat out of his hands and wouldn't let him do it anymore. Uh, I'm glad glad you remembered uh,
2: Bill space manly. And I should have imagined you would have just absolutely fallen heels over him. He's a a fantastic guy. He's played baseball in in Cuba. I think he's played on native American reservations. He's, he's almost the anti-hero ambassador. He's the anti-ambassador of baseball in a sense. Right. right? If, if, it's like if, when you think of pro wrestling, you think of, you know, Hulk Hogan and just smiling, giving his thumbs up, with the kick right. on his shoulder, giving out. And then you also have another top good guy in Stone Cold Steve Austin. And you're like, wait, how can both of these be good guys? How can right. they both love the sport and people cheer for them? That's Space mainly. He's kind of a Stone Cold-like character. He's a <laughs> But I found it interesting. I, I had to go back because, you know, we know this firsthand from players that are still active and haven't had that long of careers that their memories can be fuzzy, right? You remember things differently as you retell stories and you kind of, you know, merge two things into sure. one. So I actually went back and uh, Billy talked about, you know, Mickey Lolich being on the mound, Bill free behind the plate and how he tripled, you know, in his last at bat nearly had it inside the park home run, but he tripled in his final at bat before the institution of the DH in 1973. Well, the game he was referring to, Mickey Lolich was pitching, but Bill Freehan, who's a borderline Hall of Famer, look him up if you haven't heard of him. He was actually not catching. Okay, so he had that wrong. Come um, on, Bill. Also, that wasn't the last game that he had. Oh. He, it was his second-to-last game. He had three more at-bats against Milwaukee that year in 72. But the thing that I took away from that that was uh, most interesting that I didn't know, of course, 1973, Ron Blomberg was uh, the first designated hitter. In history, of course, from Drew's beloved New York Yankees. That's okay. right. Um, but if you noticed, uh, it must have been in the '75 World Series. You see Louis Tiant get a hit, and he it was in it was in Fenway Park. Well, the DH wasn't actually accepted in the World Series until 1976. So even for those three years '73, '74, '75, even though the AL had a DH, they couldn't use it in The world series, which is something I didn't know. It's a
0: it's, it's not just the home game, game. but yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, I didn't know that. That's a that's a thing I learned. You're always teaching me stuff on this podcast, Patrick, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> Will says, and I'll put it up on the screen here for anyone watching the live. The current era of baseball players need better nicknames, not just ones that are part of or some combination of their first and last names. Will, I've never agreed with one of your comments more. We got spaceman. We got Sparky. We got Smoky, We got Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle. And now everyone's just Maddie, Chrissy, Stowe. That's what they got for Trevor Story. Stow, Come on. Let's Drew, come- <laughs>
2: you, you and I, when we sit in the press box, we, we're at least once a week we try to go back and forth like, oh, what nickname can we come up with this guy, right? Trevor Story hits his three home runs. We go, well, you hit that one on the concourse. Hey concourse kid hasn't stuck around really
0: no nah, um, that's a good one come on herman Hermen marquez
2: wins the silver slugger as a pitcher all right uh el batidor de plata which de plata. is Spanish for the silver hitter the silver slugger so we're trying we're doing what we can at dnvr to come up with some of these unique nicknames but you're right uh it, it's kind of a from a bygone era of the, that creativity
0: uh, I'll tell you one nickname that's so good that people don't even realize it, which transitions us to the next thing I wanted to talk about. A young man, or a man, depending on when you're talking about him, by the name of The Hammer. You know The Hammer. the ha- yeah, That's right. It wasn't just hammering. It was The Hammer. Mm-hmm. Hank Henry Aaron, the greatest legitimate power his- hitter in the history of our game. I said it. Yeah, uh, now. can't
2: argue, can't argue with that. He he did it uh, when man, people were were quite literally trying to take him out. You know that's that's one of the things that it it does get talked about a lot in baseball. But I think it definitely is a a far second fiddle to everything Jackie Robinson had ever gone through, and 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 deservedly so. Jackie was there, and you know it was even cool hearing Reggie Jackson talk about. Jackie saying like he was the only one among us that could have done that. And I I think there's definitely a truth that took one very special man. If you go back and listen to all the, the great things about Jackie Robinson, he was the only one that could have taken that. But the fact that, you know, Hank Aaron is legitimately, you know, hitting home runs in, in, you know, not, I wouldn't say relative obscurity in Atlanta, but you know, he's doing it in Milwaukee and Atlanta at, at a place which Fulton County stadium at the time was actually nicknamed the launching pad because it was, it sat over 1000 feet above sea level. And <laughs> that's a whole other story. Wow. To get into. But, but yeah, he got these letters. He got death threats time and right. time again from Southerners who cared about Babe Ruth, who was from the North. He's from Baltimore and played in right. Boston and New York and yet, because he was a white man, his record was legitimate and God forbid anyone tried to break his record. And it's, 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 it's almost a It's almost shocking that Hank Aaron is still alive today because you, you saw with the stress that Jackie Robinson went through and, and he died in his fifties. And yet Hank Aaron is, is still here on this planet, you know, in his, in his eighties and, you know, still an ambassador for the game
0: it was really heartbreaking to hear him talk about the three years sort of leading up to and surrounding his breaking of the record as this like really bad time in his life. Like, that's not how you would think of for anybody else, like breaking these giant records. So yeah, that was just really, uh, really heartbreaking to hear that. And so <laughs> i think we've got mom back but only half kind of uh is this are we, is this, are we live streaming the blair witch project here I, I think we had the blair witch project going on for just a minute there just <laughs> oh, trying to blood. find the, the, the best i know just making the technology work isn't it uh uh but yeah that, that that was really that was really brutal but um you know and then to even know that years later he would have to send that video message to barry bonds but he wouldn't be in attendance it's like man now twice the breaking of this record has been a sort of controversial and, and semi-negative thing uh for hank aaron and that really sucks it should only have ever been positive yeah uh, it's too bad there's so much negativity around this record
2: i know we say don't don't kill the messenger but it's like don't kill the middleman right you, hey, like you said hank aaron well put, you know, he's, he's getting crap for breaking Babe Ruth's record. And then someone, you know, you could argue, argue less deservedly. So, and, and I probably would argue that as well, you know, should not have broken his record. Well, isn't that what happened to Roger Maris? We we went over that a couple innings back, right? right? He, he's getting all this crap for again, breaking Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth's record and his hair's falling out. He's, he's, you know, he's going white prematurely. He's, he's really stressed out. Doesn't have, the longevity in his career that he probably should have, a player of his caliber. And then someone goes, using performance-enhancing drugs, and topples his record. And his family is in attendance in St. Louis in 1998, saying, hey, congratulations, Mark. We couldn't have asked for a better guy to do it. And Mm -hmm. not to say Mark McWare isn't a good guy. He helped calm Nolan Arenado down, arguably, uh, in that game (laughs) against Luis Perdomo.
0: But how
2: he... But how he did it is the questionable thing. So yeah, these both those guys, Aaron and and Maris, definitely, you know, a lot more should be made about their feats,
0: and also their hands is no. Oh, sorry, <laughs> their arms and their and their uh, shoulders. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of people with arms and shoulders, we got um, Will says Frank Howard had the best nickname though the Washington Monument. Uh, Lj Maximo mentions that. Dante's was sledgehammer, which is pretty good, and goes with the uh, with the music choice, of course.
2: I'll do you one better, Will. I think Frank Howard, Howard's better nickname was the Capital Punisher.
0: Oh, that's good.
2: Look it up. Look it up. That's Capital Punisher. Even better.
0: Also, a great nickname, not for a player, but for a team. Not the Undertaker's younger brother, Kane but the Cincinnati Reds of this era, known as the Big Red Machine. Mom, are you there?
1: Yeah, can you hear me?
0: <laughs> yeah. We can. Like, love, can? or hate, oh, okay. Big Red Machine, Cincinnati Reds.
1: Okay, so I i missed that, so I'm just okay getting back, kind of, sort of.
0: The Big Red Machine, Cincinnati Reds, like, love, or hate. Yeah, what about them? <laughs> Do you hate You, you got to hate him, right? Did you hate him? I
1: I hate him. The Reds were not my team ever, ever, ever. But I like Johnny Bench. Sure. Uh, again, Johnny Bench was an Oklahoma kid. My grandmother knew his family, baseball and all that. So I did yell for them to win the World Series when he was there.
0: Boo. Um, You've disappointed me. I know. Me. I know. You rooted for Pete Rose?
1: No, I rooted for Johnny Bench and Pete Rose just happened to be there too. <laughs> as well as Joe Morgan. Now, Joe Morgan was okay to me, but your dad didn't like Joe Morgan at all. So, dad
0: you know. hated Joe Morgan. I think that was more as an announcer than as a player, which, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. It,
1: the announcing was, yeah. <laughs> Good. But,
2: Joe, Joe Morgan in the chicken wing. Yeah, the, Red, the Reds were a powerhouse. In fact, they were so good that, and there's an asterisk that goes next to this, Their, uh, I believe their their entire roster was selected for uh, one year in the National League All-Star game. And then the commissioner had to step in and go, wait a minute, hold on. Cincinnati, your fans went crazy filling out a billion different ballots. That was back when you had the actual paper ballots. They had to punch out and you had to make sure your Chad wasn't hanging. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> Uh I good still I still good. have
2: some, thank you. Uh it, do you like that better or the Ken Bone one?
0: Uh, Ken Bone was way better. Hanging Chad or I mean Ken Bone's got to be like five percent of our audience. <laughs>
2: um look it up. Um but yeah, I still actually have some of those old paper ballots, and so Cincinnati fans, man, they were they were rabid for their team. And they went in to 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 really stuff the ballot, uh quite literally to make sure that their guys got in, but they had you know they had studs, and you know not all of their guys were were Hall of Famers, but you know they were they were really you know notable players. And you know Ken Griffey Jr. you know not a Hall of Famer, but his son was. You know there's there is so many really talented ball players from that that club that eventually they would start to branch off and, and help other teams win. Most notably, obviously Pete Rose going to the Phillies and, and winning a World Series in 1980 with them.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I, I this was just one of this is one of those teams where it's just full of guys. I'm like ah, and of course I've got a you know a a modern perspective on on Pete Rose, and they dive deeper into that. They sort of let the baseball stuff play out, then they get back to his controversy and the gambling and and, and all of that. And I think I had watched this doc too right around the time where he was being really, really adamant still that he hadn't done it, but he would come out just a few years later and finally admit to having bet on baseball, to having bet on games for his clubs. Um, and so he was just the biggest lying hypocrite in, cause I'd seen all these interviews. They'd bring, they'd haul him out at the all-star game. And I remember that famous interview. I must've been 10, 12 years old or whatever with, um, uh, uh, who was the reporter? Gray. Um, yeah, I can't. Shoot. Jim Jim Gray. Jim Gray. It was Jim that, Gray. I think that was the '99
2: All Star Game because it they did the uh, you know it wasn't the top 100 but it was like the top 25. So it was like you pick the roster of the all time greats, and of course Pete Rose was there, so that he was voted on to the all time team. So they allowed him. Uh, I actually think the backup first baseman for that team was Mark McGuire, which. Helps you understand, you know, how much he was loved at that time, and how his numbers did stack up with the greats at that time as well. But yeah, Jim Gray, he he totally put him on the spot, totally blew him up, asking him about that in this moment that was about the greats in the game and the history of the game and the fans and Fenway Park and everything. And yet um, he was he was making it about something different. So yeah, people were very upset with Jim Gray. I, I didn't. I don't remember seeing him covering sports very much after that. I think NBC kind of tucked him away to the side a little. Not the
0: time, Jim, but no one came out of that looking good. No. Um, Especially because then it was such a public and adamant denial from Pete Rose, who just a few years later, I think in an attempt to try to get back in the good graces of, of whoever, of the commissioner, uh, I think it was still Bud Selig at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, well, here we go. We've got a direct question now from LJ Maxigo Maximo, excuse me, directed at hashtag baseball mom. Does Pete Rose Charlie Hustle belong in the Hall of Fame? Mom.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Begrudgingly, yes, does.
0: Begrudgingly, yes, I think is the correct answer. Yeah.
2: Well yeah. what might be a better question is should he be in the hall of fame? Should he be placed in the Hall of Fame? I think we all know he belongs. No doubt. Should he be in the Baseball Hall of Fame?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, on his play, on his stats, on all of that, he definitely is a Hall of Famer. Um, Being a Hall of Famer doesn't mean... There was that talk at the end a lot about, you know, we could... Players are whole people. When we see him play... You know, that can be the excellence of their play. Uh, but there's there's the good, the bad, and the differences in between of that human side of people. Uh, uh, Pete Rose is not my favorite. I never was a fan of Pete Rose. It wasn't that I was a huge fan and then he disappointed me. I wasn't a huge fan to begin with. But I, I guess based on his statistics and based on uh, the other things that we've talked about, yeah, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I put an asterisk, but I put an asterisk by a lot of things, or maybe just another paragraph in.
2: There's no doubt he belongs in the baseball hall of fame. He's in the museum, as we've talked about before. Right. Just about any and everything is in the museum because it's it's an archive of baseball's history, you know, good, good or bad or indifferent. But as and, far as
1: Yeah, and good, maybe I'm sorry, I was just going to say, and maybe that is a distinction if if you can get in the museum and the stories are told, but sometimes I think based on who has been voted in and who hasn't, it can, can become too arbitrary in the sense that maybe people are there that are less deserving. So I, I like to tell the whole story, you know, uh, and, and because of the ban, I, I guess in that sense, I don't think he can be, but... I think that maybe that needs to evolve too.
0: We've also been down for bargaining and bartering over the years, haven't we, Mom? It's kind of a look. Let's let we'll let Pete Rose and Barry Bonds in, but you got to give us Joe Jackson and Larry Walker. Though now we don't have now we get to take that bargaining chips off the table. He got in on his own merits. <laughs> take that away. Um, we'll give us Roger Maris sans asterisks. How about that? Roger Maris gets in, no asterisks. Bonds right. and Rose get in asterisks, or maybe not. I don't know what the hell even an asterisk means on your getting into the Hall of Fame. Just there's a paragraph when you get there that explains why wasn't Barry Bonds a unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer after hitting seven thousand home runs and doing all the things he did. I think you know there's a there should be a little paragraph that explains that. Why did Pete Rose get into the Hall of Fame in the year 2023? you know there should be a paragraph that explains that probably joe jackson same thing but i want to i i want them all in with explanations of why it took some time
1: so you're saying no asterisks just better explanations of who they were and what they did
0: yeah, I don't know what an asterisk actually does. You put it next to a stat. You put it next to a guy's Hall of Fame induction. I don't know what that means, really. Uh, I I don't. So um, okay. I don't hate the idea of. I, I like the concept of let's denote that this person that there's a reason. But I think the fact. I actually think it's it's taken care of by the fact that Pete Rose hasn't been in the Hall of Fame until now, and the fact same thing with Barry Bonds. Right. Um. You know. You Good look point. at. Boston. If he gets in on the ninth year of his Hall of Fame ballot, like people are going to know that, and and it should be well understood. So I think yeah. it should be understood, but I think I also think it is. It both matters and doesn't matter, like you said.
2: You know, why did it take him so long to get in? Or if Pete Rose were to to be allowed in the Hall of Fame, which I I, I don't believe he should be allowed. He deserves to be there uh, as far as his merits go on the baseball field, but in in a way, you know, I, I like I like his omission from the Hall of Fame for two reasons. One, um, because it does send a message that if you gamble on the game, which he much more clearly did, there was much more evidence to suggest that he was gambling on the games than Joe Jackson. So there's there's more evidence to say, you know, we don't necessarily have to lump oh, it yeah. together. So there's more evidence of, of that. And two, I think it just adds some allure to the game in the Hall. Now, it does come at the, you know, does – it does come at a cost and it's at Pete Rose's cost who's still alive. It's Joe Jackson's dead now. Yeah. That would be a nice warm feeling to give to his family, but ultimately at the end of the day, that's not a, a life or death situation. Right. right. So I, I like in, in keeping with tradition and telling those stories, which whether you let him in or not is part of that experience. You know, there is a, as I said, there's a hall, there's an actual hall, and then there's the museum. And while there's a difference between the two, they're all housed under the same roof. So it's 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 somewhat nebulous I think and it's like you know when when Walker got in you asked me on that day of like you know is that a, is it a big deal that he went 10th or not and it's like no he's in he's on the same team as Joe DiMaggio who got in on a second ballot he's on the same team as Satchel Paige who got in after he died uh, and, and barely even played in the majors. Same thing with Josh Gibson; didn't even play in the majors, but he's in. They're all on the same team, coming out of that cornfield in Iowa, and that's the, that's really the beauty about it. So you know, at at the end of the day, it's it's the stories of these people. It's our jobs to keep that alive, right? To know our history, so we're not doomed to repeat it. Um, and and when you go to Cooperstown, it is. You know, somewhat of a religious experience to tell those stories and share it and to be amongst the ghosts and to be amongst the greats. and it's it would just really be a shame if if all of us here didn't get a chance to do that this summer, and it doesn't seem like that would be the case.
0: Yeah, I was looking forward to that trip that was only half planned. Mm, yeah, that's a frustrating one, to be sure. But I'll tell you what, Pete Rose probably could have avoided all of this if he had just gotten his education at MSU Denver. If he had just gone down there and got some of these programs in, they offer over 40 online and hybrid programs, 750 classes at msudenver.edu slash online. You can get a phenomenal education. They can teach you about all kinds of things, including how to not mess up your whole life through gambling and baseball or You know, maybe just how to read and write better, know your history a little bit better. But as Patrick said, when you know your history a bit better, you are less doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. And so learning about all of that kind of stuff or doing more vocational things, whatever you need now is the time. You've got some time on your hands. You want to be more prepared for the world. When you go back out into it, you can get a quality education at MSU Denver dot edu slash online check out all of their awesome programs and classes uh, today i really think it could have saved them a whole lot of trouble just go get your education online in msu denver pete not not gonna have all of these issues i'll tell you and another guy (laughs) who maybe sons the formal education for better or for worse we got to get your insight on these two it's really not just the one guy it's the two guys you might know where i'm going with this patrick in your neck of the woods, did it fully turn around on the boss, on George Steinbrenner and Billy Martin, and these guys who took the most treasured item in all of professional sports and turned it into this circus during these two decades?
2: Um, it's it's somewhat of a loaded question. It depends on what question you're asking, if. If if the point is, hey, did they, you know, ruin the the pinstripes? Uh no, they did not. Did they turn into a circus? Yes, they did. But it's a pretty good business for Barnum and Bailey, right? Those two guys <laughs> made a lot of money with a circus, right? True. So True. so George Steinbrenner, he bought the Yankees for a song you right. He, he, he wanted to, to own the Cleveland Indians. Um, You know, he was his, he was in the shipbuilding business, I believe uh, in Ohio. And he, he bought the Yankees from, from CBS and he got a really good deal on them. And I mean, they're, they are not the most notable brand in the world because of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, right. It's, it's for everything that came after that, you know, it's, it's a little here and there of, Dimaggio, and a little bit of Mickey Mantle, and it's the fact that they won, you know, all those World Series in the late '90s, right? They won four in five years, and then won it again in 2009, and continued to to buy up all of the the top free agents that were out there to wear the pinstripes. So, you know, George Steinbrenner, yeah, he was a joke. You know, the what it didn't get into, and there's there's so much, was that there was a period of time. Um, so going into the whole collusion business, right after that, um, George Steinbrenner, he paid for a private eye to track down Dave Winfield because he had, he had given a lot of money to Dave Winfield. And you know, ultimately, he was trying to you know, get out of that deal, and he had issues with Winfield. And eventually, uh, the commissioner at the time basically banned Steinbrenner and said, look, you, you, have, you need to step away from the game. This is in the late '80s, or early '90s, and I see you smiling, Drew. And he said, "Just you have—you should have nothing to do with the Yankees." And because of that, because of that, the Yankees were able to keep a prospect that they drafted in 1992 by the name of Derek Jeter. Because Steinbrenner would have traded him, I think there was even deals that Steinbrenner tried to work around at the time to trade um, Jeter at that point. But because Stick Michael, Gene Michael, uh, a longtime Yankee, ran the the organization, was the GM at the time. He said, George, look, you're not in charge. We're not going to keep trading all of these prospects. There were so many guys that came up in the 80s and 90s that they might not have been superstars, but they were really good players that the Yankees just kind of gave away on a song for an aging veteran that they thought was the final piece that they needed. So it got so bad for for Steinbrenner that he was forced to actually – He was was barred from the game. Um, So, yeah, that's a circus.
0: That's a circus.
2: But at the end of the day, you know, his franchise is worth the most in all of the game. And it will continue to be even if they they don't win another championship for another 11 years.
0: How haunting was that picture of him that photoshopped? Picture of him looming over Yankee Stadium. That was cool. Looking yeah. down on everybody. Oh my God. It's actually, uh, it's, it's, you know,
2: for anyone that, that, you know, um, didn't see the news today, but his son, Hank Steinbrenner, actually passed away. Uh, I'm not sure if it was last night or if it was this morning. So I
0: didn't see that actually. Yeah.
2: So I thought that was kind of. Boom you know, oddly symbolic of, you know, Steinbrenner just looming over Yankee stadium, which, uh, that was the old Yankee stadium. But of course the, the house, that house, that Ruth built is no longer there, but across the street is the house that George built Steinbrenner. And, and now his son, Hank is, is up in heaven with him. I imagine you might've had some different thoughts about, uh, Steinbrenner, particularly in the era when it was the Royals and the Yankees as the top two teams and in the American League.
1: Oh yeah, that was a uh, well. Again, I never really liked Steinbrenner, and I thought, you know, the Yankees that that was a difficult thing. Obviously, the looming over and all of that. But yeah, when it was the, the Royals and the rank Yankees, year after year, and they kept thinking they thought they were the MLB team, and we were their uh, their farm club, so to speak. The Royals were the farm yeah. club. The Royals mm-hmm. were the ones. Um, I saw one of those, Chris home runs right at the first of this that was in Royal Stadium, right?
2: I thought yeah. of you because you mentioned him the other, the other, uh, the other broadcast that we had Yeah, the Well, there actually is some, some fact to that because I think, um, I, I'm not sure what they were called at the time, but before the Kansas City Athletics had gone out there, there actually was a minor league team for the Yankees in Kansas City. And I think just everybody in town just said, no, 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 hey, if you're good, you go to New York. It's like, no, but we're not an affiliate. doesn't matter. Go to New York. Happened with Roger Maris. He was a Kansas City, a eh? uh. Kansas City Athletics, you also had Reggie Jackson. Boom, another guy going to New York. So, yes, it it definitely seems to happen a lot. Steve Balboni, anybody? Remember Steve Balboni? Another oh, yeah. Royals yeah the Yankees Balboni. player.
0: <laughs> and, of course, LJ Maximo points out, now, the Rockies <laughs> are sending all their players to the Yankees. We missed That's DJ and Otto, Not Mike Talkman or Tommy Canely, though. Chris Ionetta. Troy Chalowitsky. Oh, right. That was technically a thing for a moment.
2: Rex Brothers. He was with them uh, in Triple
0: That's right. Uh, yeah. Well, and there's that famous line in Moneyball, where the modern day Oakland days, where the guy calls into the radio station. We're a farm team for the Yankees. A lot of different clubs have felt that way. Over the years, and like like we said, you know, kind of the invention of free agency, there's a lot of good that comes out of it, but there was a lot of, you know, it's really funny that we see this immediate shift in the game where it goes from the reserve clause and people playing a certain way, and the moment they make free agency a thing, a guy like George Steinbrenner is trying to sell his players off and trade his players off every single year and do the thing, and it was really funny to see the way writers – And fans and whomever, you know, sort of talked about this kind of loss of innocence about the game. And Doris Kearns Goodwin talked about a little bit. You felt like the players were yours and you, you wanted to come back the next year and you knew those guys and you knew what they could do and what they didn't do. You knew the team. And now. And we feel this as much as anybody, so much of the baseball conversation is who else can we get? Who can we trade? Who are the free agents out there? that drives conversation so much more than, Hey, we like our team and we hope we're good enough this year to go get those other guys. It's like, no, our team sucks. They're not good enough. Let's get this guy and this guy. Let's get rid of so-and-so. Um, and, and so it's kind of created these two diametrically opposed ideologies, which is interesting. Yeah. The Rockies
2: have long maintained and, and you see this now. And I, and I think, you know, they dip their toe into free agency with Desmond Davis Shaw, and mcgee to an extent but ultimately you know kelly mcgregor said it that when they you know when they when they dream about winning a world series bringing you know the the trophy to denver for the first time they want to do it with their guys they don't want to do it with a bunch of marauders and bandits that they get from all over that that seems to be the way of of all sports right and 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 you can't have a completely homegrown team. It's it's virtually impossible. So you Mm -hmm. have to supplement at least somewhat, but that's something that, that the Rockies do. And, you know, that's, that's one of the beauties of Todd Helton playing his entire career with Colorado. And and you think, you know, I'm not sure what year it was, maybe 2009, you know, both Tony Gwynn and Cal Ripken Jr. went into the hall of fame the same year representing only the San Diego Padres and only the Baltimore Orioles on both coasts. So that's, you know, few and far between. And when that happens, it's, it just makes it that much more sweeter. just makes it that much more beautiful. And, and you sort of, those guys who stick around with one team, I think in a sense, you say you have to love those guys and you have to appreciate how they're a hometown guy. I'm sure there's people all across the country that while they might not be a huge Todd Helton fan, they would say, I love Todd Helton, you know? And, and because of the, the amazing talents of Gwyn and Ripkin people wouldn't just say they they love Ripkin and Gwyn but they adore those guys because they also backed it up in such a major way you know as as mvp players and perennial all-stars but the fact that they did it for one team that's so special and so unique now and when you have that 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 really needs to be cherished
0: hundred percent. And I think it should be included as a part of their Hall of Fame conversation. I've talked about this before and, and you know, I've had this debate kind of with Manny a little bit be, because he's so into the numbers and, and he just doesn't see how anyone could call anyone but Larry Walker the greatest Rocky of all time. And in, in my opinion, I, actually, it's the opposite. I don't see how anyone could call anyone but Todd Helton. The greatest Rocky of all time and a lot of that is the fact that through no fault of his own but Walker played at the beginning of his career for the Expos and at the end of his career for the Cardinals and Todd Helton was only ever a Colorado Rocky. Mom I think you're back in now so you know <laughs> how much especially in the in the modern age does does that mean to you? Uh,
1: I think it's wonderful when it can happen and I think for Todd Helton it's it's really great, but there's a whole lot of circumstances that go into that, and the ownership and the management, you know, are are big into that too. Whether it's paying the players or writing the contracts, or the way the salaries uh, in the contracts are are scheduled over a period of time, and what those players are doing, what still surprises me. Is a lot of fans, if if a, if a good player leaves, a lot of the fans just say, oh, they're only leaving because they want the money. Uh, it certainly didn't feel like that when Larry Walker left. Right. Uh, in fact, I'd never actually seen. I mean, he appeared distraught when they did the press conference when he was traded. It's not always up to them. Or even if they have a choice, the circumstance that they're presented with. So it's that's why I think it's it's much more unusual, uh, but it's a uh, it's a reality there. Yeah, I would like for them to say I didn't want to see G- DJ Lemayhu leave, but he did, and we had other players coming up and he had a pretty good year. <laughs>
0: yeah, Rymack well, is pretty good.
1: <laughs> pretty right. good. I'm all right, for those Yankee guys in those pinstripes and all that.
0: All right. Uh, So, you know, one of the ways that you can be pretty good, especially early in the morning, is if you get yourself hooked up with some Strava craft coffee, rich in CBD infused coffee, you can get it in K-cups for your Keurig, you get whole bean, you can get ground coffee. I've done all three. They're all fantastic, though I do prefer getting it ground. We got a special coffee grinder so I could grind it up. It's That's probably the best way to do it, but I don't have the patience, and I've got roommates that don't especially love the sound of that coffee grinder. But if you get the Strava, I'm telling you, it'll change your life if you drink a lot of coffee, but you don't like the jitters or the crash or the anxiety that can come with it. Purchase online for 20% off using the code DNVR20. Uh, We got to wrap this one up before too long because we got to make way on our live here because the Nuggets guys are going to be going for a late night chat. But uh, I wanted to get, like I said, I've I've actually accidentally just deleted all of my notes as well. So we're doing super awesome this evening. I think I have them somewhere in my phone. Um, But there was... There was one last thing that I wanted to talk about before. Like I said, there's a lot left in this episode and to wrap up Ken Burns baseball, but we've got about 10 minutes before I want to wrap this thing up. And so let's talk about the second best third baseman of all time (laughs) and his really fun and exciting Baltimore Orioles. But weren't those Brooks Robinson highlights something else?
2: Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, that. You know, that was this, his second World Series, so he was a little bit older at that point. I think he was 33. He didn't hit very well. He, I think it was like three for 33, something crazy like that, but it doesn't matter when you're you're saving runs on the defensive end of the spectrum, right? Back back when we didn't have stats or tried to DRF. make stats, <laughs> yeah, or even if we tried to make up defensive stats, you could just see the value that he had and, and how many plays and, and just taking away doubles down the line and and no one's placing him there. He just, he just has the feel. He just knows right. where to stand on the infield. He knows his pitchers. He knows Palmer. He knows what, you know, those guys are going to throw. And, you know, he's, he's just ready for that. And that's, I thought that was beautiful. You probably saw that I tweeted that the first world series that Brooks Robinson had played in, uh, in, in 69, I believe, uh, was, uh, he was 29 years old and that's the exact age that Nolan Arenado will be in on Thursday. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe maybe Nolan will be making similar plays like that at Chase Field uh, if we can get in a 2020 season. And and maybe the Rockies will be hoisting up uh, a pennant with uh, to the other 29 teams, uh, hoisting up a pennant with an asterisk next to it. <laughs> but not to us. Not to us. We're colorblind to that purple asterisk.
1: This whole year is going to have a big asterisk
2: and, you know, long story. Short season, long story. I want one fun fact from, from that 1970 World Series. I was reminded that in that World Series, the only player to have his birthday on his back. Yes, his birthday was on his back. Yes. It, it, there's no way you're going to, you can magically just think of it. So it was Lee May who wore the number 23. He was born on May 23rd. So there you go. There's a little fun fact for you.
0: Lee may birthday May's was
2: on his 30.
0: back. Yep. That's wow.
2: Useless information here. the <laughs> in yeah,
0: That is a thing that you have just taught us all. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We're going to run through a couple of questions and, and comments here before we log off. Like I said, we'll have plenty of time to talk about, I thought about maybe trying to do the bill Buckner conversation and the Red Sox curse of the Bambino. We don't have time for that. Unfortunately, We'll get into that next time. Um, LJ Maximo, yes, Strava does deliver. In fact, Strava only delivers. Uh, It's the only way you can get it. Uh, Well, you can, when things get back to normal, there are coffee shops you can go into and you can get it on drip and stuff like that. Um, But you can't buy it in most normal stores. So you've got to get it uh, delivered to you. I'm glad to know that we could fill your baseball void baseball mom needs a sponsor says lj maximo we'll have to we'll have to get mom her own sponsor and um uh bronk rock dwayne says first time listener here was wondering if anyone can let me know where patrick is from <laughs> uh
2: i you know what it's something that i keep very close to the vest um i don't know that anybody knows that here um, <laughs> You know, I don't want you rooting through my personal, you know, business. I don't
0: know if this was on purpose or not, but this is the best question we've ever gotten.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know, you're just going to have to keep listening. And in about five more minutes, uh, you'll probably find out. Yeah, I would say parts
0: unknown. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we got to start billing like from WWE. I mean, you know, we got to give everyone entrance music. if We're going to be doing these live videos, especially if mom's going to keep kind of falling out and coming back in. We should have entrance music for every time it comes back. Now, welcoming back to the ring.
1: Like I'm returning, Uh-oh. right? Just, in Junction,
0: Colorado. We just need the <laughs> glass breaking. Uh-huh. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, because we've only got a few moments left and I've lost my notes. And, Mom, you've been in and out. I, I just want to say, because you did get some Bo Jackson and some Royals love there at the end.
1: Yeah.
0: A few other things. What was that your favorite part of the episode? What, what, what was your big takeaway from this one? Just, hey, that's my guy. Boy, he could he could run up that wall.
1: As far as players go, I would say, yeah, Bo Jackson and Ozzie Smith, because I didn't get a lot of time earlier because they weren't in some of those important games in the World Series. But, uh, yeah, it was great to see those two guys again. And, and see them play like that and having fun like that, I thought was great.
2: They didn't even show Ozzy's best play when he was with the Padres coming up.
1: Oh no! He
2: he he dove towards second base, and the ball kind of hit a rock. And as he's as he's diving, or actually he was diving this way because we got mirror, and then he yeah. actually goes up and grabs with his bare hand, gets up and throws it. It was absolutely insane. But the the one the, there's two things I want to talk about before we get out super quick that I want to touch on is um, Roberto Clemente. And maybe we'll yeah. to it. Um, yeah, I
0: think more time on that. Yeah.
2: A couple of interesting things is that he got his three thousandth hit in the final game of that season. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, the game before that, he had gotten what what most in the uh, in the ballpark had thought was the three thousandth hit. The scorekeeper changed it to an error. Well, he didn't change it. He said eh, that was an error, even though everyone thought off the bat that was a hit. And Clemente, just true classic. You know that guy's been calling games for. You know, 20 years, as long as I've been here, if he says that was an error, that was an error. I don't want my 3,000 to be cheap. And to think that he may have never even gotten that because he mm. called it an error. But Hartford Yard Goats, right here, as, as part of the, the Rockies family, the, the AA affiliate for the Rockies, they've actually retired the number 21. And as far as I know, they're oh, the only cool. team. Yeah. They're the only team across uh, major league baseball and minor league baseball that has 21 retired. It, there has been movements to try to possibly get 21 retired, much like Roberto Clemente, uh, excuse me, Jackie Robinson's number 42 is retired, um, for what Clemente meant to the Latin American community. Wasn't the first, but was uh, amongst the first handful of players to come out of Latin America, Puerto Rico, more specifically, um, so I, I think that's something nice. and they have some merchandise with the, with that number 21 on the cap. And the last thing I wanted to mention since Jackie Robinson looms large throughout this was uh, I decided to go back and man, it was so touching his whole, you know, funeral, the whole yeah. ceremony. everything everything yeah. he showed it was, it was unbelievable to see who was in attendance, but the pallbearers for Jackie Robinson that day were on one side Pee Wee Reese and Don Newcombe, um, so a, a white ball player and a black ball player, and on the other was Ralph Branca and Bill Russell. Who I thought it wasn't I saw even Bill me. Russell. Yeah, yeah, black that was the. He I was he was too tall. He was a tall guy. He was in front. I was like, who's that handsome bastard? And I was like, okay, that's Bill Russell. Who else yeah. were his pallbearers? And so that would. And so again, um, there was that perfect balance and that symmetry. And you have a guy who didn't even. Play Jackie's sport. He was a basketball player, but that's what Jackie represented to the entire civil rights movement—not just African Americans, not just to baseball folks, but to the entire civil rights movement. So, I thought that was that was something that jumped out at me almost immediately.
1: Yeah, I liked that too. I thought it was way cool, and it took me a minute, and I was looking at that's. Bill Russell. Wow. You know,
0: I did the same thing. I was like,
1: Hey. And the people lining up and the kids lining up (laughs) for the the
2: procession, I think it was beautiful. Yeah. And the words that were spoken were by of course, Jesse Jackson.
0: Uh And there was a moment from that. I think the line from that, that, that stuck out to me the most was when he referred to Jackie Robinson as medicine I thought that was such an yeah. analogy yeah. to to refer to him as a as a medicine that had to cure this kind of poison in our society, and and that he took a toll for for having done it. I just thought I I'm not sure there's a more perfect analogy for a, a human being than and why he's considered so important to our game and to our entire country and and to the world is because he was this. No one loves taking their medicine. You know, it, it can feel bad at the time, but it was something the world desperately needed. And he,
2: put. He,
1: he made a lot of sacrifices. You know, we think about the triumph and that he was the first black play, player, the first black player of the modern age or however we want to say that. But he had to go through a lot of sacrifices just to do that and a lot of, of personal hurt. And he did it and he did it well and that's one of the reasons he gets to be that guy as opposed to some of the others, you know, that people said, I couldn't have done that. He did that. You know?
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I think when your mother speaks gold and drops the mic, you got to leave it there. We got to wrap it up, but we're not done talking about the baseball doc. We've got a lot more to do. So, Even though there's not another episode to watch on Thursday, we're going to be talking more about this final episode. Uh, Well, it's not the final. We'll talk about that too, about whether or not we Mm. can figure out a way to watch a few more of these baseball things together. We're going to figure it all out, but there will be more conversation on this ninth inning and the wrapping up of the original baseball doc by Ken Burns. We'll all be back technology permitting. Hopefully every one of you will continue to keep us In uh, your your social media stuff, you're following, you're subscribing, you're doing all of that. You're helping out all of our sponsors because during this time, helping them out is helping us out. You're drinking all your Breck brews. I got my avalanche here. You saw me drinking the Hot Peak IPA during the pod here. Just enjoying ourselves. We're going to be doing these live chats after each one of these watches now that we've kind of figured out this technology. So hopefully you can come and join us, whether it's Facebook, Twitter. Or Twitch. We'll be able to see your comments. We'll be able to read them. And, uh, yeah, make sure you pick up some merch from the merch store. If you're here on the live, Patrick's showing off the hat. I've got another hat you can go get. Uh-huh. Uh, we got some cool shirts on special this week, one of my favorites. Uh, I don't think the one I'm wearing right now is on special, but one that's similar to it. So go check all that stuff out. Make sure you're subscribed. Continue to be absolutely awesome. We will continue to be Drew and Robert Creaseman. He'll be Patrick Lyons. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.